Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. How many are glad to be in the house today worshiping the Lord? Good to have you with us. If you're new to our church, my name is Greg Johnson. I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor, and uh, you're welcome. God bless you if you're joining us at Mission Church Online. It's good to have you with us as well. We trust you feel the presence of the Lord as you join us virtually. Go ahead and be seated. Take your Bibles, and uh, you can turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we're continuing in our series from the book of Acts today with um, a very powerful story that is detailed here in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at, at, at what happened to him. Hallelujah. Isn't that an amazing story? Today I want to talk to you from the subject, rise up and walk. Come on, say it with me. Rise up and walk. Now, Acts chapter 3 is a pivotal uh, point in the narration of, of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we see how the Spirit of God was moving in a powerful way and how the Spirit of God was poured out on masses of people. Thousands of people were saved, even filled with the Holy Spirit. But chapter 3 moves from a focus on a massive crowd of people to one man. One man who is broken, who is crippled, one man who is hurting, who feels alone, who feels left out and cast aside. And it's an important shift in this narrative because it shows us that no matter how big the crowd may be in which you find yourself where God is moving, that God still sees you. He sees the individual. He sees the one who feels stepped over and passed by and neglected and inferior and inadequate. That's what this story is about. God's love for the lonely, for the isolated, for the forgotten, for the one. Verse 1 says that Peter and John 
went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, in those days, the, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it was nine hours from sunup, which was right around 3 p.m. It was a specific time of prayer in the temple. But verse 2 says that as they were going there uh, to do their prayers daily, there was a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb. Now, we don't know his name. We don't know his story. All we know about him was that he had a a congenital birth defect, that he was lame from his mother's womb. He was born this way. From the day of his birth, he never took a step on his own. He could never stand up on his own. He he never knew what it was like to run down the street, even as a child, to play with, with other kids. He probably didn't go to school. He probably couldn't learn a trade, didn't have a job, didn't have a career, probably didn't have a wife, didn't have children, probably didn't have a home for him himself. And the only skill that he had, the only competence that he had was to beg. To get people to feel sorry for him and to throw him a few coins. So this lame man, who could never take a step for himself, needed God to step into his life. What he needed was beyond human ability. It was beyond human power. It was beyond human wisdom. He needed God to do for him what only God could do. Only God could make a way. Only God could turn things around. If God didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. And this is where Peter and John enter the picture. This is where the church enters the picture. This is where the people of God, who are anointed of the Holy Spirit, and who have faith, enter the picture into the story of the lame, broken, hurting world. The church. Verse 3 says, When the lame man saw Peter and John, he asked them for for alms, for gifts. Now imagine this. This lame man, here he is, asking for alms. He's asking for scraps, for leftovers. But God wanted to give him a miracle. Isn't Isn't that ironic? That here he is, just asking for a few alms, not even realizing... That that the Almighty God has much more for him than just a few coins. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? Can you imagine what God really wants to do for us, but that we don't have the faith or the understanding or even the the concept of, of what God wants to do? For some of us, we've lost touch with the reality of a living, moving, active God who wants to burst into our lives and do something incredible. Hallelujah. See, even when I say that, it doesn't even, it doesn't even strike a chord. It doesn't even hit home. It sounds like some, such a fanciful notion, something so foreign, something so far beyond, right? And this is typical of so many of us who come to church. We come to church with such low expectations, such little faith. We come to church just hoping for a few alms, a little spiritual, a few spiritual scraps from some men. Well, I hope the worship team sings some good songs today. I really need a boost 
I really need to feel energized. I hope the pastor has a good sermon today. I really need some scraps of of encouragement. I hope he has something to fire me up and get me through the week. I hope my friends are there to say hello to me and to welcome me and to to make me feel loved. The reason why so many Christians are so easily tempted and easily offended and easily defeated is because they are contented with what comes from men's mouths rather than searching and seeking and kneeling before God to know more of Him and His truth regarding the things of life. And we become content just to come into church on a Sunday morning and just get a few alms, just get a few scraps from men. Don't come to church looking for people to give you what you need. Come to church looking for the living God to give you what you need. Because the living God is looking for you. He's looking to touch you. He's looking to pour something into your life. So verse 4 says, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Everybody say, look at us. Peter and John, they fixed, imagine this, they fixed their eyes. They locked eyes on this beggar. Now, understand something, for most beggars, most people walking past beggars avoid eye contact. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know what I mean. You're New Yorkers, you've been down in the city, right? You know, just straight ahead, don't look, don't make eye contact, right? Okay? And this is the life of a beggar. So many people will just walk by, kind of, you know, looking, whatever, you know, looking over here, talking to their friends, looking up in the sky, oh, look at that bird, you know? Just kind of avoiding eye, that's how they live their lives, feeling insignificant, feeling passed over, feeling stepped over, like, like because there's something wrong with them, they're inadequate and inferior and don't deserve time and attention from people. But Peter and John fixed their eyes on him. They locked eyes with him. And in that moment, this was significant because in that moment, God was saying to this man, I see you. I see you. Church, how often do we walk through this world not really seeing the people around us? So caught up in all the things that we have to do that we don't really see the people around us and the hurts that they have and the struggles that they have and the pain that they have. And we just pass right by them. And if we're going to reach this world and impact this world, it's not because we can win debates and arguments. It's because we can lock eyes with people and we can see them. And God through Peter and John was saying to this lame man, He's saying, I see you. The world may have discarded you. The world may ignore you. The world may have forgotten you. But God is saying, I see you. All of His life. He had been by himself. He had been forgotten. But here's God saying, you're not invisible to me. I haven't forgotten you. I know your history. I know your story. I know your struggle. I know your pain. And I care about your need. Do you know how common this is today? How many people feel just like this lame man? They may not have a physical disability, But how many people, because of how they feel about themselves within, they feel crippled emotionally. 
They feel unworthy and insignificant. They feel like they're invisible, like they don't matter and people don't notice them. They compare themselves to everyone around them and they feel insignificant. They feel less than everyone else. Don't look as good as that person. Can't speak as well as that person. Not as talented as that person. And just as Peter and John fixed their eyes on Him, I want you to know this morning that God has His eyes fixed on you. You're not just a face in the crowd. You hear what I'm saying today? That was Acts chapter 2. This is Acts chapter 3. You're not just a face in the crowd. Peter and John are coming by you. God through is looking at you, locking eyes with you and saying to you today, I see you and I've seen you and I hear you and I know your plight. I know your pain. I know your history. I know your inferiority complex, your insecurities, and I care about what you're going through today. So verse 5 continues. So he gave them his attention, the blind man did expecting to receive something from them. Now the lame man didn't get it at first. He thought that Peter and John were going to give him an offering. He probably thought, oh man, this is going to be good. Somebody finally locked eyes with me. Somebody's finally stopping and looking me in the eye. And he probably expected, you know, Peter was going to just pull out a pocket full of, you know, of coins, you know, and and just lay it on him, right? Expecting to receive something from them. To meet his need. And this has been the source of misery for millions of people in the world today. That, that people put their focus on the people of this world and the things of this world, expecting to receive something from this world to meet their need. And we see this all the time, especially on social media. People on social media thinking that social media is going to give them something that they need looking for some sort of a inner emotional payoff, a few more likes, a few more follows, right? Looking for value and worth to come from people. Needing approval from people to feel good about themselves. This is where so many people are at today. This is why in the youth culture, we see young people are so susceptible to drugs and alcohol and depression and all kinds of the maladies of, of youth culture today. It's because young people have, have this sense of, 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 of neediness about themselves. They feel, they feel inadequate. They feel inferior. They have insecurities. And they're dependent on someone else to approve of them to feel good about themselves. So they go with the crowd. They go with the flow. They do whatever their friends are doing in order to get approval from their friends to feel good about themselves. Others go from relationship to relationship looking for validation of their worth in the next physical, intimate encounter. For others, it's a promotion at work. For others, it's more money, a newer car, a bigger home. Thinking that the things of this world That what man can give them will satisfy them. But it only ends up leaving us feeling disappointed and lonely and hurt and offended and more inadequate and more inferior going from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from approval to approval. Why? Why? Because what we need cannot be given to us by people. What we truly need That need that we all have deep down in our heart cannot be satisfied by this world. 
Because we have been created for connection with our Creator. That's the way we're wired. That's the way we're designed. We have been created for relationship with Him. And until we have relationship with Him, we will always look out, look for handouts from the world to make us feel better about ourselves. Whether it's through social media or another relationship or another promotion in, in our career. So in verse 6, Peter says something to him very significant. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In other words, Peter was saying, we're not going to meet your need with the things of this world. Because the need that you have can only be met by the God who created you. The God who sees you for who you really are, who sees your pain, who sees what's crippling you, what you need can only come from Him. And so many people today are lying in misery thinking that a few more gold coins for, from the world, a few more, a few more, you know, alms of attention thrown to them by the world is going to make them feel better about themselves, but it's a lie. Everybody say, it's a lie. It's a lie. What the world is trying to offer us to make us feel sufficient is a lie. It's a lie. But what's worse is that the church is starting to believe the same thing. That our silver and our gold is what the lame of this world are in need of. That our silver and our gold is the remedy to the problems of broken humanity. Church history records a conversation between Pope Innocent II and Thomas Aquinas. And uh, the Pope was so proud of the riches of the Vatican that he said to Thomas, quote, No longer do we say silver and gold have we none, as he's counting out the gold in the Vatican. To which Thomas responded, well, maybe that's why we can no longer say to the lame of this world, rise up and walk. And I fear that this is truer more today than ever. Because we've got our technology, our facilities, our lights, our staging, our sound. We've got our celebrity worship leaders, our charismatic pastors. We've got millions and millions of sermons online, literally at our fingertips, just point and click. I mean, we are strong in human ability. We are strong in silver and gold. We are strong in media and technology and, and facilities and programs. But my concern is that our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness. They asked a Chinese Christian visiting the U.S. what impressed him most about our country, and here's what he said. He said, I'm impressed mostly by the great things Americans have done without the Holy Spirit. John Wesley said this. He's the founder of the Methodist movement. He said, my fear is not that our great movement known as the Methodists will eventually cease to exist one day or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, 
the supernatural element that makes us great. R.T. Kendall wrote, if the Holy Spirit were completely removed from the world today, 99% of the work of the church would go on as if nothing at all had happened. God help us that we become so dependent on our silver and our gold and all the ministry we can fashion with our own hands that are so impressive yet lack the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. God help us. Amen, Mission Church? The good news is this, R.T. Kendall, the Holy Spirit has not been taken from the earth. Amen? The good news is that God said, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. John the Baptist said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This same Spirit who dwelt in Christ shall dwell in us and will be with us. And the works that He has done, we shall do. And greater works because why? He has gone to the Father and the Comforter has come. We do not live in an age having been abandoned by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very much in our midst. The need today is not more gold and silver. It's not more programs and worship teams and pastors. And, and dare I say, it's not even more churches. What's needed today is a hunger in the hearts of people who will say, God, we want Your presence more than life itself. We want to know You and we will search after You and seek after You and come before You until we know the fullness of Your presence in our lives. And I don't mean just on Sunday morning, church, because Sunday morning is not the sum total of your walk with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I'm talking about every day seeking God, going after His presence until going after His presence is part of who we are. It becomes a part of our character. It becomes a part of our attitude. It becomes a part of our perspective on life that we are a people who are hungry for the presence of God. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? This is what it means to be a Pentecostal people. This is what it means. It doesn't mean to just come and sing some songs and lift our hands. That's not being... Being Pentecostal means we are people of His presence. People of His presence. We're not impressed by charismatic worship teams. We're not impressed by eloquent preachers. We're not impressed by, by great programs. We're not impressed by marvelous facilities. There's only one thing that impresses us. There's only one thing that captures our attention, and that is the power and the presence of God manifested in the midst of His people. That's it. Give me a wooden shack with holes in the roof that has the anointing of God. I'll take that more than a marble cathedral that is abandoned by the Holy Spirit any day. Amen? I'd rather go to Africa and preach in a grass and mud hut under the anointing of God than stand in the biggest, greatest church in America that has no power of the Holy Spirit. Give me the presence of God every day. Amen, church? Come on, are you hungry for more? Are you hungry for more of Him? This is our driving. This is our, this is our motivation. People of His presence. 
So Peter says in verse 6, silver and gold have I, have I none. In the name, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. In the name of Jesus Christ. And just in case you might mistake who I'm talking about, Jesus Christ, the one from Nazareth. The one that you nailed on the cross. The one that you buried in the tomb. That Jesus. The Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is through His name. Rise up and walk. Amen? Hallelujah. Why the name of Jesus? Why not the name of Buddha? Why not the name of Shiva or Muhammad or even Allah? Why not those names? Because it was Jesus alone who went to the cross. Everybody say the cross. And on the cross, something happened that changed everything for mankind. Something that Buddha couldn't do. Something Muhammad couldn't do. Something that no man could do in his strength. It needed, it required the Son of God incarnate in human flesh. Only Jesus. Because your sin and my sin separated us from God. But Jesus, because He was both man and God, was able to take upon Himself the sins of the world and to pay the ransom price for all of mankind because of the eternal, infinite, limitless value of His blood. He paid the redemption price of every man, every woman, every person ever born in all the history of, of humanity. The cross opens the door to the presence and the power of God. The cross opens the door to everything that God has for humanity. And not just humanity in the sense of the sea of mankind, but humanity in the sense of one man sitting at the gate, sitting there, hoping that someone will have mercy. One man who's hurting. One person. What Jesus did on the cross opens the door for you. And all that God has for you. Isn't that good news? Amen? Buddha didn't get on a cross. How many know that? Mohammed never got on a cross. Allah, no cross. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's why Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. Because in that name, all the power of God is avail available to your life. Verse 8, So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you left church filled with wonder and amazement? When was the last time you left church leaping and rejoicing and praising God? Better question. What do you expect God to do when you show up here? What kind of a mentality, an attitude, a disposition do you come to church with? Do you come to church hoping for a few alms? Some spiritual scraps? 
from worship teams and pastors? Do you come looking for men to give you something that you can chew on? Or do you come expecting to meet with the mighty God who is living and moving and active in His church today. Why do you come here? What are you looking for? What is Sunday morning all about for you? Is it just putting in your religious time? Are you just a religious cog in a religious machine going through the religious motions? Are you here to see somebody? Or maybe to be seen by somebody? Are you here because maybe your wife shamed you into coming? Or maybe you're a young person and you're here because your parents forced you to come. I don't know why you're here. And those things may be true for some, but I believe that there's someone here today who came because they're looking for a breakthrough in their lives. That like the lame man at the gate, you need God to step into your life. You need God to do something that only God can do. Man can't do it. Money can't do it. Doctors can't do it. This world can't do it. It can't be done by human ability. It can only be done through the power of a living, moving, active God. Hallelujah. And you're here today because it's been hard. Life has been hard. It's been hard in your marriage. You've been struggling with your kids. You've been mistreated at work. Your health is failing. You're losing your mind. You're at the end of your rope. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have ever been there? You're at the end of your rope. You've got no rope left. <laughs> and you've come here today. In fact, the devil has been on your back telling you God doesn't care. And church won't make a difference. And the Bible's not true. And I want to remind you today that we serve a God who still specializes in wonder and amazement. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He still specializes in wonder and amazement. He still heals bodies. He still breaks curses. He still makes a way where there is no way. He still says to the hurting and the broken of this generation, rise up and walk. He's still that God. What He did at one time, He'll do today. What He did for one people, He'll do for this people. He's the God who never changes. The only thing that changes is us. The church. The people. Hallelujah. Now some here might say, you know, I've heard all this before. I've prayed. Nothing's ever changed in my life. I've asked for healing. I've never been healed. Right? Let me tell you something. That lame man went through the same thing that you might be going through today. Verse 2 says that the lame man was laid daily at the gate. Every day, of his life, he was there at the gate of the temple. Which means, listen to this, he must have been there every time Jesus came to the temple and passed through that gate. I imagine when Jesus would go to the temple, that lame man was there being laid daily at the gate. And I would imagine that he reached out to Jesus from time to time, and Jesus passed him by. And walked away. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Why did Jesus walk away? I'll tell you why. Because the God we serve is a God of timing. He's a God of timing. Yes, He's a miracle worker. But He's a God of sovereign authority and perfect timing. And He doesn't work on our timetable. He works on His timetable. Jesus heals and works miracles 
signs and wonders and amazement on His time, not ours. His way, not ours. His plan, not ours. And Jesus knew, listen, Jesus knew the time would come after the cross, after the resurrection, that the testimony of this man's healing in the name of Jesus would validate the claims of Peter and John that Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus knew, I'm going to need your testimony, but not now. You hear what I'm saying? I'm going to need your testimony, but not right now. The moment is coming when I'm going to need you to jump up and leap and praise and worship me openly for all the world to see, but not yet. Not yet. Be patient. Trust me. I still am the God who works miracles. I haven't changed. I'm just the God of timing. Let me ask the worship team to join me, please. Every sign and wonder, every healing and miracle, listen, and every prayer that we pray and request that we have to God is subject to the sovereign timing of God. Amen? Look at verse 11 as we draw to a close. It says, Now is the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. What got all the people's attention? The testimony of the lame man being healed. Amen? Amen. Peter said to the people, Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified, look at this, glorified His servant Jesus whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. It was a miracle of timing. Amen. Why is this important? Let's stand together. Why is this important? As we close the service and as we open the altars for prayer, some may be tempted to think, I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been seeking, but nothing changes. God doesn't care. He does care. Everybody say it. God does care. Come on, say it. Amen. He cares. He sees how you have been lying at the gate in misery, struggling, and in suffering. And He cares. He's not just about the masses. He's about you. He's for you. But He's a God of timing. He works on His timetable. And as we ask God, and we we lay hands on people, and we pray for healing, we pray for the living God, to arise in your life, all our asking and all of our believing must be set against the backdrop of His sovereignty and His authority and His timing in our lives, just like the lame man. How many understand that? Amen? But we still believe. Amen, church? Come on, lift up a hand and say, Lord, I do. I believe. I believe, Lord. Come on, just I believe, Lord, that you are the God who still does wonders and amazement. You're still the God of wonders and amazement. You do amazing things, Lord. We believe that today. Lord, not for us, but that Jesus would be glorified through us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. We're going to offer up a song of worship to Him, and we're going to allow His presence to just come. We're going to dismiss the service in a moment. Let's just take a second here. Let's glorify the Lord in some worship.